All right. And I don't want to say this the wrong way or disrespectfully because my bread and butter is speaking at events and teaching classes, right? But I think a lot of realtors are kind of done with that educational experience. Like they don't want to sit there and hear a four hour lecture and a slide deck presentation, right? They want something different. They want something a little more innovative and more collaborative, like, you know, engaging. And to me, that's what bar camps really are. You're listening to The Real Estate Sessions, and I'm your host, Bill Risser. With nearly 25 years in the real estate business, I love to interview industry leaders, up-and-comers, and really anyone with a story to tell. It's the stories that led my guests to a career in the real estate world that drives me into my ninth year and nearly 400 episodes of the podcast. And now, I hope you enjoy the next journey. Welcome to episode 375 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, we're going to be talking to Craig Grant. Craig is a nationally known speaker, presenter, trainer. He created the Real Estate Tech Institute website, website that's located at reti.us with over, well, I'll say for how many pieces of content are on this website to help agents uh, understand technology. I'll save that for Craig. You'll hear it soon. Let's get this thing started. It's really, I'm really, like I said, really excited to have Craig on the show. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Oh, hey, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I have the, I've had the chance of the last couple of years to get to know you a lot better. I've known of you pretty much since I got to Florida in 2017. But, you know, you're on the other side of the state and we crisscross maybe across conferences and things, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So first off, you're based over in the Port St. Lucie area. Am I accurate there? A little bit south, a town called Stewart. It's kind of in between Port St. Lucie and kind of Palm Beach. You, I know you're a Gator. You attended UF. So, can I assume you're you're a native Floridian? You're are you a are you a Florida man? Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I was born and raised in New Jersey. Lived there till I was about thirteen, and that's when my family moved to Florida. So, you know, I was a kid kicking and screaming, didn't want to leave New Jersey, but you know. 35 years later, very happy as a Floridian. Yeah, uh, that's a very early move. Generally speaking, you know, mom and dads don't go until there's grandkids floating around <laughs> before yeah. they make the move to Florida. But your parents were like, no, we're going to make this move now. We're tired of the weather or was it a job? What was it? I'm sure the weather had a factor in it okay. because no one likes sho- shoveling snow and, you know, stuff like that. But it was more my dad had a job chance or opportunity at the time that decided to move us down to Florida. Plus, his parents were already living in Florida. My mother's parents had already relocated to Florida. My aunts and uncles had already relocated. So it was kind of like that northeastern move. Like we all were in the New Jersey, New York, and Massachusetts area, and we all kind of slowly creeped down. So the whole family basically moved to Florida. Yeah. And settled on the east coast of Florida, which tends to be what happens there. Midwest is over yep. here on, on the Gulf Coast and on the so Atlantic true. Coast. You yeah. can literally draw a line down the state and know where people are from. <laughs> I like asking this question. It'll be good for you. You've been here long enough. What's the biggest misconception about Florida? That all of us aren't drunken idiots and, and the headlines as Florida man on a weekly basis. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Probably the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true. How about this? What What are you most proud of? You know, being a being someone who's a, we'll call you a near native of Florida. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 35 years later. I can definitely consider myself a Floridian at this point. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I think the just the overall vibe of Florida. I'm sure you know you've been here for quite a while. It's 
we kind of march to our own beat. You know, we're the there's a big thing about Florida. It's kind of like ties into the whole Florida man kind of joke. Is we're we're very independent. We don't like to be told what to do, and we kind of just kind of do whatever we want to do. So that's kind of the way I've always lived my life. Is kind of very independent. I've never subscribed to you know I have to be part of this group or go to this church or whatever it might be. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. So to me, that's kind of what I love about Florida is just the lifestyle. You know, people. Yeah whether they're here retiring, whether they're here getting away from something, it's just the way Florida is. Yeah. I like that. Good. That's a great answer. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, you are as tech geeky as anyone I've ever met in the business. I'm going to, (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that this was you pretty early in life, junior high, high school. You were probably that guy. Am I right? Kind of. And I mean, not with computers. Computers didn't really happen until a little bit later. But I was definitely like the kid who, if my parents left me alone with a screwdriver and a TV set, they'd come back and it was taken apart because I just wanted to know what was inside and how it worked. So I was always tinkering and kind of messing with stuff. And of course, I loved video games and stuff like that as a kid. Sure. But the truth is, when I left for college, I had never truly used a computer. I had a typing class in high school, but I had never used a computer. And I literally had to have my dad sit me down and give me a basic lesson just so I could write papers. But by the end of college, I was teaching classes on it. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. Tell me, tell me what, what, what was the driving force behind that decision to become a Gator? I mean, UF, that's uh, there's a lot of schools. There was one real close to you. That's pretty popular. Right? <laughs> but, oh, yeah. 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 But that one, if you're talking about Miami, Miami is a private school. Yeah, um, and five yeah. x the cost of UF or Florida State or any of the other state universities. Right. So Miami was never on the radar, but when you look at the actual state universities, I mean, Florida honestly is, and I'm not trying to be cocky about this. It was rated the number one public school in the country this year. So it is a really good college. Now, could I have gotten into it now? Probably not. But back in 1994, when I got into UF, I was really thrilled to get in because it was a very hard college to get in back then. Now it's ridiculous. Now the standards are much, much higher. But I mean, to me, I had, I mean, I was very active in sports and everything. And I had a couple of scholarship offers to small schools, but I wanted the big school, honestly, the party atmosphere that UF offered. So to me, it was the perfect mixture of great school, partying, sports, everything. And when I went to UF, it was really the kind of you know, the glory days of their sports. I mean, football was on top. Basketball was excellent. Like everything in the sports, and I'm a huge sports nut, that was a big factor. The other thing is my most of my friends from high school went to Florida State and my parents did not want me to go there because they figured I'd fail out. (laughs) (laughs) Good call. Um, So scholarships, now you got me, my interest peaked here. What what sports are we talking about, Craig? My main sports were basketball and baseball. I mean, you wouldn't guess it with my size. I'm not the biggest of guys, yeah. I uh, I pretty competitively played basketball and baseball through high school and traveling weeks and everything. So um, I'm guessing, so, I'm guessing a guard, right? Uh, in basketball, oh yeah, point guard, totally a point. Yeah, guard. point guard. <laughs> All right. Good. So you're 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 uh, you're the general on the floor, distributing yep. the ball, making sure everybody's in the right place. How about baseball? What was your position? Shortstop and catcher. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. We I've never we've never really chatted about this before, but that's great. That's uh, oh yeah, I'm a huge baseball fan. Now, well, I knew that part of it. I didn't know you had a. Yeah, a love for it uh, growing up and we're, we're yep. playing at that level. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, cool. Cool. 
Now, look, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know your family's from New Jersey, which means they're either going to be Jets or Giants or Yankees or Mets and all that <laughs> stuff. Did you bring that down here with you, or do you support where you've uh, grown up? None of the above. Wow, um, let's hear yeah. that. So, yes, my parents were Giants fans and Yankee fans and all that, but I didn't subscribe to that at all. Again, to me, I kind of like to make my own decisions go my own way. Yeah. So whoever my first favorite athlete was, that was basically the team I started loving and I've loved my entire life. So for example, my first favorite basketball player was Larry Bird. I've been a Boston Celtic fan from day one. Wow. Right? My first favorite football player was Tony Dorsett. I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan from day one. And baseball was Alan Trammell with the teacher of Tigers. So, oh yeah, I'm all over the map. Like it has nothing to do with where I lived. It was just, did I fall in love with a player? And then I stuck with that team forever. Trammell, a great shortstop for the for the Tigers. That was back in the, I think they, that was Early one 80s. of the, yeah, yeah, the 80s where they whooped the Padres in the World Series after uh, starting 35 and five that year, I think in yes. 1984. 1984, it was an amazing year. <laughs> well, amazing for you, horrible for me, but that's okay. Yeah, true. yeah, but I mean, they've stunk pretty much ever since with the exception of a couple of years here and there. And yeah. now as a Tiger fan, all I get to do is go watch my players be amazing for other teams. So, yeah. That's great. I, I, I love that. Well, I love that you've got your teams. You followed them. You stuck with them. Big fan of that sort of action instead of just, you know, oh, it's where I grew up and I got to, wherever I live, I got to root for that team. So. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I wore head to toe Cowboys gear in Giant Stadium and had sodas Oof. dumped on my head as a child. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, the worst was the vet in Philly. That, that, that was not friendly confines. But yeah, to me, it's, it's, I love teams, not, it doesn't have to be where I live. All right, good. Let's let's we'll get back on track now. I know, you know, like many in real estate, it's not the first gig. It really isn't. Generally speaking, you know this because you you talk to literally thousands of people every year about this. What was the first thing you were doing right out of school? What was that path you were on? So, shocking, I mean, my actual major in college was marketing and advertising. So, while I was still a student at University of Florida, I got an internship at the Gainesville Sun, which was at that time a newspaper owned by the New York Times. So I was literally interning in their kind of print sales department. And I was bored one day and I literally told my supervisor, hey, I'm bored. Give me something to do. And he said, yeah, there's this new thing called the Internet. That old guy over there is trying to figure it out. Why don't you go see if you can help him figure it out? And that's literally how it all started is. Like I was bored and literally the internet was starting right then and there, at least public internet. I know it's been around for longer, but I ended up figuring out much better than that old guy and pushing him out of his job. So my true first job out of college was running the internet division for that newspaper in Gainesville. And then eventually I kept growing in responsibilities and, and they ended up adding in more and more markets under my belt. And eventually I was the national trainer for the New York Times. So that's kind of where it all started was literally I was bored as an intern and the internet was popping right at that moment. This We're talking about the internet where for, for there's some people listening that will not understand this, but first of all, it, it was super slow. It was oh, dial yeah. up and it was 2,400 baud. And when you got to some other higher number 96, you were giddy. It was like, wow, oh, yeah. the whole <laughs> next speed. <laughs> and there, it really wasn't transactional. I remember distinctly talking to people saying, this will never be transactional. I mean, look, it's just for, it's a big giant billboard of stuff. It's just yeah, a, read a little bit of information. That's all you can do, right? Yeah. Couldn't have been more wrong on that. So that's great. So that, so you're, you're doing that, but somewhere then 
we've got to get you in the world of real estate. You see this, obviously, a huge need yep. for that sort of, they need the Craig treatment that the old guy got <laughs> at the Gainesville <laughs> newspaper. You, you decided to do that in real estate. How did that come about? So it actually all ties back to that same job. So one of the things that I did, I was very kind of inventive or entrepreneurial when I was working for the newspaper. So one of the things that I did that no other newspaper around the country was doing is I started my own website development company through the newspaper. So we would like, it was very hard for me or my staff to go out and sell online advertising when nobody in town had websites, right? Mm. So we would go to a local florist, whatever the store, the business was, pitch them what the, I literally had a flip book that had to teach them what the internet was. And then you need, this is what a website is. And here's why your business needs a website. And then I would sell that business, the website and the online advertising at the same time. Sometimes it was one or the other, but once I started building real estate websites and I got my hands on the MLS data feed, it was a game changer. Like I just started seeing all different ways I could slice and dice it and do different things with it. So most people don't know this, but the Gainesville newspaper was the first newspaper in the entire country where the local newspaper ran the public MLS website for the Realtor Association. That was a partnership that I formed. And then once I formed it with Gainesville, then I moved on to other realtor associations that are where we had our newspapers and started building out public MLSs for different associations around the countries where New York Times had newspapers. So, so that's where the jump off happened, honestly. You're like the tip of the spear of yep. shutting down an entire section of the newspaper that everybody <laughs> loves to open up on Sunday. You're the guy. Pretty much. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. The newspapers, I, I used to like be in all the, the executive managerial meetings with New York Times Brass and be pounding the table, telling them, if we don't put up a paywall now, if we don't do these things, you're going to be done. Like I was warning them in the late 90s, early 2000s that they're going to about to be cannibalized by the internet and they didn't see it happening. Yeah. And here comes a whole lot of websites, homes.com, some of the early stuff, but then Zillow, it's over. It's oh, yeah. Over, John. yeah 100%. So. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Like you, I'm, I'm sure you've got some stories just like that one, but go, looking back, let's say it's 2004. What was the coolest thing you were doing with a website? I know that's making you go way back because I was 20 yeah. years ago. Okay. So aside from building out those association public MLS sites, right? one of the last projects I did for the New York times was, and you got to think back to this was in 2003, 2004. Okay. One time I was meeting with a broker and he literally offhand made a comment. He said, you see that room right there? And I, there was like three women in a little glass room in his office. And I was like, yeah, why? He goes, those three women, I pay them a stupid amount of money for one reason to build your stupid ad for your new, stupid newspaper every single week. And I was like, okay. I was like, so what you're saying is if I were able to build you a tool that allowed you to build your ad faster, you'd double your spending, right? And he goes, oh, heck yes. And I was like, put that in writing right now. And he was like, huh? And I was like, put it in writing right now. Write it down on a piece of paper that you'll double your spending if I build you a tool that builds your ads. And he was like, okay, I'll sign that. So I literally, and by the way, he was spending over half a million dollars a year in print advertising with the newspaper. So I literally got him to commit to paying another half a million dollars. And then what I did was, and I, had, I brought in a partner to help me build this out. 
but we built a product that literally automated building out a newspaper ad. It wrote the property descriptions. It automated everything off the MLS feeds. So all he had to do was go in and just approve the ad. And he was able wow. to fire three women for that. Sorry to say, but, and that was like one of my last things with the New York times. I literally told them when I was leaving, if you keep me on, I'll help you get another real estate company or another automobile dealer every few months to help continue paying for this thing. And they just let it die by the vine. So that was amazing technology. I built them in 2004 that just died once I left the newspapers. Yeah. What I've noticed about you in the last five, six years, seven years, I followed you as well as seeing you at a couple of different events is you have to really stay connected to what's changing and what's, what's happening in the world of technology especially at the intersection with real estate because that's that's where you make your living that's we're going to talk about you know the real estate tech institute shortly so that's you know where that has to stay current mm-hmm. uh, how do you do it i'm just there's so much going on you're a very busy guy you speak over 100 days a year around the country yep. how do you stay on top of what's changing in the the evolution one and to me any good not just like you know somebody who wants to be an expert in a field, but if you really want to excel on whatever you do, you have to be a lifelong learner and a sponge to me. So I'm just a voracious reader online of different sites and news and everything of everything going on in the space. And then I do my darn best to stay really connected to the vendors in the industry. Most people that do what I do, they either try to partner with one company that's going to fund them, you know, kind of sponsor all their speaking events and everything or they're getting kickbacks promoting products. I don't believe in that. What I believe in is having great relationships with vendors, becoming friends with them, and knowing about stuff before anyone else knows it, and kind of knowing where the puck is going. So I am constantly learning, reading, learning everything I can, plus having those relationships to me is huge. Nice Gretzky pull on the puck. I love you it. like that? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good for a kid from Florida. I like that. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about Real Estate Tech Institute, reti.us. Um, what was uh, obviously this was? I mean, for me, it's a, it's it's a very it's a simple concept. It's like ooh, I'm going to make a website where all the training can be there for all the agents, and they I can I can they, the agents can have access. More importantly, so can associations and MLSs and associate all that great stuff. Talk yes. about the thought that went into building that out, where it and you know how it's progressed over the years. Sure. I mean, the the origin of it is pretty crazy. I actually went to an event one time where another speaker, it was an event for speakers. And his title of his topic was how to become a million dollar speaker. And I was thinking he was just going to sit there and talk about how he built up his reputation over years and took his fees from one level to another level and started making more and more money billing. And he literally started his presentation saying, I run this membership site. I, you know, my members pay $20 a month and I have something like 9,000 members, right? And he literally on purpose kind of paused and waited for anyone to catch on. And he was like, so does that, did that not impress any of you? And I was like, impresses me. He goes, and he, go, and he goes, well, do you know what that means? I said, $1.2 million a year and you, and your revenues just in those memberships. And he's like, that guy gets it. So I literally went home that weekend and started mapping out the RETI site, not to make a million dollars, but well, don't be wrong. Yes, I want to make a million dollars, but it was just a way to take what I'm already doing. I'm already doing the stuff in the classroom. I'm already doing the stuff in mm-hmm. events. 
why not repurpose the same content and make it where it could just become another revenue stream plus help out the industry? Because so many, first of all, realtors can only attend what they can attend, whether it's a class or an event or whatever. And most realtors I know don't have time to spend four hours doing anything. They want to jump in and watch a five minute how-to video, a seven minute product review or a 30 minute webinar, right? So that's what the RT side is all about is really giving the realtor the ability or the staff member, MLS, whoever they are, that ability to learn what they want, when they want, all in just quick, short, junk learning. I, I, I'll put you on the spot here. Roughly how many different pieces of content are sitting on that site right now? Over 3,000. 3,000 different places I can go to get information about. Yep. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> oh, and, and, and you have a couple of partners, I think, as well. But you also have some agents that are helping you, right? You have some agents that are a part of your team that, that yeah, help I mean, do some of the content. Yeah. So we have a team. There are six of us, including me. So... And honestly, they're, they're all, when you say partners, they're kind of, they're revenue share partners. So they get a percentage of the revenue for the site to help and contribute and be part of the team. So I do own and run the site, but these are all industry friends. They're all to me, really good speakers, very knowledgeable people that I'm great friends with who I was like, let's do this together. Right. And the, and the team has changed a little bit over the years. One or two below has come in and come out, but it's all about, you know, just Again, if it was just sign up for my content, who knows how marketable it would be, or, you know, especially on the partnership side, most of our members are through association partnerships. To me, it's when we have a whole team, that makes it a much stronger thing. And each of us has, and I did this kind of strategically, we're all geeks, but we're geeks in different ways in different areas. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I noticed right. that. Yep. 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 Yeah. Like Warren um, is all about the business side. Heather's all about social media and being fun. And it, like, we're all different kinds of geeks. Yeah. You're a believer in bar camps. Absolutely. I've seen you at a lot of bar camps. I, I'm the same way. I was part of the, you know, in 2009 and 10, I was attending bar camps in the West side of the country, right? And yep. Phoenix and all that. Talk about the value of that bar camp experience. What's, what makes it a little bit different for you? I think it's, all right. And I don't want to say this the wrong way or disrespectfully because my bread and butter is speaking at events and teaching classes. Right. But I think a lot of realtors are kind of done with that educational experience. Like they don't want to sit there and hear a four hour lecture and a slide deck presentation. Right. They want something right. different. They want something a little more innovative and more collaborative, like, you know, engaging. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what bar camps really are is it's not somebody sitting out there with a slide deck. It's much more everyone in the room contributing and solving each other's problems and giving recommendations and tricks they're using and stuff like that. And just a topic expert facilitating that conversation, keeping it going and making sure it's being done right. But I think it's just, you can't, most adults don't want to sit in a classroom every day. So it's just a very different, fun experience where you get a lot out of it. Yeah. And I think I think Florida does a great job. They have a couple of great ones in Florida, right? When you talk Absolutely. about what what the state's doing at the uh, at the at each year at the conference or convention, I don't get that yep. right. Oh yeah. And then you've got, you know, they're doing some wonderful stuff up in Jacksonville with their One Coast bar yes. camp every year as well. So I know you you attend both of those and probably more around the country. So yeah, I think I think it's I think you're absolutely dead on. It's just sitting in rows of chairs facing a screen is something that they're it's just baked into the psyche of an agent. But and, and I've seen it before when you bring them to a bar camp and 
So now you make the chairs in circles and they're facing each other. There's a little yeah. freak out when they walk in at first because like, well, yeah. what's going on here <laughs> if they've never been to one? That's yeah, awesome. but then but then the conversations start happening and then they're like, oh, this is really cool. Like it's, yeah. I just think that the average adult, especially if they're a boomer or a Gen X is just like you're saying, they're programmed for that sitting at a desk and taking notes, right? Yeah. Yeah. But if you talk to your millennials, your Gen Zs, that's not what they're used to. Like they are much more used to a much more freestyle learning environment and I, I don't know about you, like when I attend bar camps, the audiences tend to be much younger than when I see in classrooms. I'll agree with that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. 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 Well, like don't be wrong. There's a mixer. There's, there's senior people in the room, yep. but it's really hard to get a lot of times young people to come to classes, right. whereas they love coming to bar camps. Yep. Let me ask, I'll ask you a question. So let's talk about 2024. We're just rolling in. We're recording this in January of 2024. Yep. As you you know, wrapped up 2023 and you're heading into this, your, your next year, what, what is top of mind for agents? What are they thinking about? What are they asking for? What does it look like to you? What, what do the agents want? To me, I think there's two big things that are on every agent's mind right now. And that's artificial intelligence and the lawsuits and how it's going to impact them and impact the industry. I don't think there's a way to get around either of those two items right now because they are front and center. They're all worried that AI is going to take their jobs or eliminate them or, you know what I mean? And the lawsuits is a whole different story of everything that might happen with the industry. Right. So to me, those are the two big hot items that are on everyone's minds. Now, I don't swear claim to be a lawyer or have any true... <laughs> yes, we'll put the disclaimer in there right now. Yeah, like, I don't know what's going to happen with the lawsuits. I don't think anyone does. I, I know there's a lot of fear, apprehension, everything around it, though. Yeah, I'll ask you. Let's let's chat for a second about that. It it seems to me that one thing that's definitely going to happen, and you're seeing more and more in either Riz Media, Inman, Real mm-hmm. Estate News from from T360. Yep. that we're going to have a serious reduction in the number of agents in the business, at least members of NAR, where we can really track right. what's going on there. So you know, your thoughts on that? I think Do you think that's a, coming our way? My answer is yes, but I think that was going to happen with or without the lawsuits, to be honest. Hmm. I think that there's already been a shift over the last couple of years more towards teams versus going it alone. I think that Aside from that, I mean, it's just, you know, the stats, what is it? 10% make over 90% of the revenue in this industry. Yeah. And the failure rate, the failure rate in real estate is huge. It really is like the Mm -hmm. amount that can't survive three or five years is really high. So I've always thought, even though it wouldn't benefit people like you and I, that there needed to be a little bit of a thinning of the herd that the 1.5 million is not, it can't be supported long term. It's a, if the average realtor wants to have a good life and feed their families and pay their bills and have a retirement plan, right? Which it's one of the few industries that doesn't have retirement, doesn't have health and all these other things. So to me, it's always been a little bit of a recipe of a disaster of having 1.5 million realtors and the majority not making enough money to do it. So I think what I honestly is, and I say this every time I present on AI, it is going to reduce some of the realtors in this industry. Like there's no way to get around it. But what I really think it's going to do is create a level of super realtors that are better customer service, better communicators, better lead gen, everything, because they're using AI to automate so many processes and 
create more content and everything they, that they want to do, but don't have time for. Right. I mean, think back, Craig, you were right there in the middle of it. I was in the middle of it. Go back to 2004, five agents that started killing it on with websites, understood the power of a website, the ability for people to leave their information on a website. Yep. Dominated markets in this country. It was Absolutely. unbelievable, right? Yeah. Yep. Even though, and look, and there were tons of agents that were still doing it the old fashioned way. You know, they could use their, the binder they bought every year to keep track of everything and it worked just fine and they were doing very well. But there were agents on a whole nother level. And I think every, everything that came through the pipeline since then, social media, there were tons of agents who made it work while others just said, this is stupid. It's never going to get new business. And right. on it goes. Now we're just on one that, I'll be honest, it's way, feels way scarier <laughs> than, than all the other changes. <laughs> it is. Because, you know, someone, someone creating something that looked like me and sounds like me and can send a message to my wife that I didn't say is scary, super scary. And that's way possible right now. Yeah. So I think, I think you're, you're on the right track there that these super agents are the ones who just adopt it, look at it, don't just play with it, but go, okay, here are the things I can do that are really going to help my business grow. Be super focused or they're going to have great success, right? Absolutely. But, yeah, and you yeah. kind of nailed it a minute ago. I mean, I've been doing this now since 2005. So I'll, I was here at the start of social media. I was mm -hmm. here at the start of mobile, right? Like every few years, there's a transformative tech. The CRM craze in the early 2010s, right? Every couple of years, there's a different transformative tech where either the realtor gets on the train and uses it or it's stupid and they kind of get a little bit more and more left behind. Yeah. And to me, AI is just that next big thing but it has the potential to do more than the other ones before. Right. Let me ask you, I'm going to twist the question up a little bit. You, you told me what agents are worried about or thinking about it. It's AI and the lawsuits. Yep. In your mind, is that the right thing or is there something else they should be thinking about going into 2024? Well, I don't want to say they, can't, they shouldn't focus on either of those two things because they're both going to have huge impacts. Yeah. But to me, and I talk about this all the time, when I speak about technology is you can give me every tech little shiny tool on earth, right? The core of this business is still relationships. It all goes back to relationships. Mm -hmm. So to me, reconnecting and reconnecting with your sphere, if you're not doing it, is to me what they should be focusing on. And it can't just be, I'm going to automate an email four times a year to you. There's got to be real life touches and actual care and customer service if you expect to get repeat business out of your sphere. Because the more and more time goes on, people are just getting less and less loyal. Yeah. I love that. I love hearing that. I think it's, I'm listening to a book right now, Sell It Like Sirhant, right? Yeah. Ryan Sirhant, you've seen him speak at some and stuff. And, and, and even though he lives in this really wacky world of million dollar and $10 million and $30 million homes, it's all about relationships. doesn't matter. Yeah. It just it it's really always does. the same. Yep. It's always the same. I love that. Yeah. Craig, you've listened before to the show. You know that I wrap up the show the same way every time. It's always been with Jay Thompson being the first guy, this final question, which is what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started? And we may have covered it a little bit. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, the one thing that I personally wish I could give to every brand new realtor is to the, the basics of business is probably the best way I can put it, Right. I believe one of the biggest reasons why we have such a high failure rate in this industry is that most realtors come into the business 
without a true business and marketing background. And they don't do the due diligence to build out a marketing plan, to create a brand, to understand budgeting and financing and everything. And then they get six months into the business without a closing and they're freaking out, right? So to me, I wish I could take every realtor back to square one because, and by the way, this is stuff they don't teach you in real estate school. Real estate schools just teach to the test, pass the test to get the license. But if you could just slow down a teeny bit and do the basics of business, you'd have a much better chance to succeed. And then the second thing would be work that sphere, right? Like, and you're going to need a great CRM. You're going to need some tech tools to help you work your sphere and do it automated and, and do that. But I think that is the biggest reason why somebody don't get past those first couple of years is they don't work the sphere and they don't have the basics of business. Yeah. I love that answer. Craig, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? I'll give two ways. One is if they want to hire me as a speaker, my speaker site is my name, craiggrant.info. If they're looking more for the educational side, like we talked about, the other way would be the RTI website, RTI.us. Each, both of those sites have contact forms, the ways to get a hold of me and everything on there. But again, if you're interested in me as a speaker, it's craiggrant.info. If you just want to jump in there and start learning, RTI.us. Craig, this has been great. I really appreciate the time. My, first of all, my apologies for taking so long to get you on here because this is awesome. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I think it's it's been great to watch you in action. I've seen you. I've seen you present. I've seen you facilitate. I've seen you when we're having drinks talking about technology, which is, to be brutally honest, where I learned the most from you. <laughs> Over drinks. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's because, as you mentioned, you know, when you have those connections with people, you kind of get to know what's happening, what's going on, what's being built. I mean, there's Absolutely. some amazing stuff. And I, I know you and Alex are working on some really cool stuff, right? That's yes. for another episode, right? We'll talk sure. about that stuff at a later date, but I think it's just amazing. So thanks so much for your time today. Really, really enjoyed having you on. Absolutely. Love being on. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating and subscribe to the Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. (laughs) 